This is Shirley Smith with Bridge the Gap. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of of Bridge the Gap. As you know, we like to talk about uh, how we can improve our mind, body, spirit, and soul so that we can build relationships across cultures, nations, ethnicities. And we want to talk, do some of that today. Uh, As a matter of fact, what are we working on today? We typically try to work on one of those areas. But today I think this podcast will cover several, the mind, the spirit, and the soul. And so we will be talking with a wonderful person whom I just met at a conference about a month ago, and her name is Dr. Linwa Nutella. And she is originally from South Africa, but she lives here in Sacramento now, and she works with an organization called Pivot Sacramento. Pivot Sacramento uh, is a nonprofit organization that was actually founded by Lisa Miller Brown, uh, who at the time was a single parent with three children. So I can certainly identify with that. Uh, I am also just overwhelmed with the various things that uh, Dr. Nutella has been working on and working with. So she has quite an outstanding bio. Uh, She is originally from South Africa, um, moved to the United States, uh, and as a matter of fact, some of her helpers to get her here was Winnie Mandela and also Hewlett Packard Corporation. These were some of her funding uh, resources for getting to the United States the first time. Uh, Started going to school at Yale University, eventually uh, relocated to Canada, and then from Canada back to uh, South Africa. And this is after receiving her doctorate. Her emphasis of study is in anthropology, psychology, and sociology. So she is looking at everything, <laughs> well-rounded, and so perfect uh, position to do coaching at Pivot Sacramento. And so stay tuned so that we can learn more about the fantastic things that she has done. Uh, She's worked in the administration with uh, Nelson Mandela uh, during his uh, presidency. Uh, Also worked with the ladies in in the parliament so that they could actually start rebuilding the constitution for South Africa. So I am very excited to have her on today. We will learn more about her journey. And then we will also learn about Pivot, the organization, and why she is so passionate about Pivot. She is very passionate about areas that has uh, created wounds uh, within us. And so those wounds are typically uh, created by structural inequity as well as protracted exposure to violence. And so just uh, want to alert you to the wonderful podcast that we will be doing today. Hang in there. We will be right back. reasons why I started Bridge the Gap is because I am a firm believer that when we go through valleys, as I call them, or difficult times, it actually creates us into a much resilient person. And not only just resilient, but we become advocates and we become um, people who will not settle (laughs) for less or we will not settle for less than excellence. And so I love a quote uh, that, and I will quote actually, 
uh, Dr. Linwa Tutela. This is something that she wrote to me when I asked her, just send me a little bit of information about your, your background. Uh, so this is what she wrote, and I love it. It's, she says, I didn't grow up with great means, and I think that governs my choices. The causes I pursue to or support, my decisions and how I lead. I am a graduate of Yale University and have a doctorate in a discipline that digs deep into the harm and residual damage caused by structural inequity, particularly at the intersection of race, gender, and class. My doctoral education and research equipped me with the tools I needed to use my experience under apartheid as a crucible to help transform lives for people in similar situations anywhere in the world. My philosophy is this, when an entire generation, community, or country has lived with protracted exposure to violence, existing solely in survival mode, there are deep wounds. These wounds have a profound impact, not only on individuals, but also on the very systems that can support their recovery. African Americans experiences many systemic inequities of a race in the United States and they are very similar to what black South Africans went through under the system of apartheid, differing only with regard to contextual nuances. Here, next we will speak with Dr. Tutela. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Oh, well, you're very welcome. So the reason why we're talking, of course, uh, with Bridge Again, we talk about how to improve our own mind, body, spirit, and soul. And I think today's um, podcast is going to talk about a number of things. Um, and I'm just really impressed with some of the things that Lindy and I have been sharing about her journey. And her journey has taken her all the way from South Africa through New York and Canada, <laughs> and then also uh, now into Sacramento, and she's working with an organization called Pivot Sacramento. And so it's just an interesting story about how she got here. So first, I'm just going to ask you if you would tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got here from all the way from South Africa. And uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I came here in 1984 as a young student. Um, I went to school at Hunter College in the City University of New York and then moved to Yale University. <clears throat> and after I obtained my master's there, I then um, went to Canada um, to do my doctoral research for Yale University. Um, I remained in Canada and became a landed immigrant there. Um, and then transferred from Yale to that university and graduated with my doctorate there, came back 
Um, actually, I didn't come back to the United States. I went back to South Africa. Oh, um, so yeah. how long were you there in South Africa after leaving uh, with your doctorate from Yale? Oh, I, I went uh, and um, worked with the uh, Mandela administration uh, for about, I remained in South Africa for about five years. Oh, okay. Back to to the United States. Um, uh, in two thousand three, I was already had already started teaching at, at the City University of New York. Um, okay, but but tell us a little bit about um, your stay there when you went back to South Africa. Uh, well, when I went back to you, South Africa. Um, when I went back uh, to South Africa, I, I became attracted uh, to working for um, the administration because it was a very exciting period. Um, um, yes, um, it was a, a time when we were rewriting the constitution and basically putting together all the infrastructure and all the uh, um, the mechanism like gender machinery um all of these um the new institutions that would operate in a democratic south africa so it was very a very exciting uh, time and this is this is the period that that established me um as a specific professional in a specific area of work and so, and speaking of specific, uh, your doctoral program, uh, it seems that you were in uh, three areas, anthropology, psychology, and sociology. Right, yeah, I combined those three areas. Um, um, and in fact, I had gone to study uh, social movement making when I left South Africa, because I had left South Africa because I had been imprisoned for having been reading banned books in South Africa. One of those books was the, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Really? Yes. Which we, we under apartheid, was banned. We, those books were called seditious. Okay. So we couldn't um, um, go to the library and read books like that, or books by any any credible um, political activist because they were going to open our eyes because we were considered to be in a state of pacifism <laughs> nonetheless um okay so um so i i i, I worked for this administration because uh, first of all they needed uh people who had graduated um, and were able to do um, the work of data analysis and social scientists were very important at that time. And I had studied social science in all of its, um, at least in, in three disciplines. And so, and so I, uh, I specialized in, um, in the area of uh, in the intersection between race, class, and gender, which is what my doctorate um, 
and looked into. Eventually, I I I did not follow the, my original uh, proposal, which would have been to study um, Black consciousness, its manifestation here in the United States. Um, when I came here, my mother died, and so and so my doctoral thesis began to. Um, follow a different um, path, which was to study, um, the, you know, the multiple consciousnesses that um, black women um, have. Um, so um, that's what I did. So I specialized really in the intersection of race and gender. So I do have a question. So you were looking at uh, sort of the psyche of black women and were you referring to black women in South Africa or black women in America or black women in general regardless of no I mean I mean you couldn't do a study that was general general for uh, a doctoral dissertation so uh, my area um, of study was the United States okay. um, in Canada and the Caribbean but it was the comparative study um, that that traced um, the history of uh, African American women, all the way from the um, Underground Railroad um, to Canada, okay. which was the last stop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yes. And then, and then, you know, and then, and those women who had become. Uh, part of the loyalist movement. Uh, um, so, um, so this was helpful then to Dr. Mandela as they were rewriting the constitution in South Africa. Yes, it, it was in the sense that here I collected personal narratives of women uh, in the workplace okay. because I was dealing with women who were already professionals in um, in Canada, uh, in between the years of 1930 and 1993, okay. that was a period of study uh, for me. Um, so when I went back to South Africa, I went back with that um, that knowledge, um, you know, the ways in which um, African American women and women in the Caribbean. South Africa, um, develop a certain kind of language that comes out of particular struggles that, you know, that they encounter and the, the different oppressions um, that they, um, that they, uh, that they face, uh, which cause for them to develop a certain kind of language of resistance, if you will. Okay, help me so to they, understand the they, language of resistance. What, what, um, now we would have to be talking about my, <laughs> you know, because it's okay. There are such words that African American women and black women in my country use that some of these words are captured in song in my country, which, you know, which are songs of struggle, songs of resistance. Uh, songs, I mean, that kind of language that for the most part, it's not meant for others to know. Dr. Lindawa uh, mentions uh, Parliament 
and working with women in Parliament there in South Africa, and she will mention the years, which was not um, not too much earlier than the time that I visited South Africa in about 2001, 2002 in that area. Uh, I had an opportunity to spend just a few weeks there. And I noticed that when I did go to, well, it was in Johannesburg, but when I did go to Soweto, the streets were not named on purpose because that was a protection device for that community, not labeling the streets so that if you were the other, you would not be able to find perhaps people uh, or you would have difficulty maneuvering around in Soweto because the streets had no names. People that lived there, of course, knew where to turn, where to go, how to find things. Uh, but if you did not live there, then you would have that difficulty. She's also talking about a language that she was able to find in her research that uh, black American women and black Af South African women uh, also had to use a language that others could not understand. Again, another protective device. And to be honest with you, I think that still goes on today because there has to be a protection uh, of your person, uh, of your spirit sometimes, and of your soul. So this really helped me because it, it was, I was able through um, my research uh, to understand um, the role that women play or don't or cannot play in certain structures of governance for example so when i went back um to south africa my milestone position was um in um, in the office of the presidency um at the gender desk they called it at the time um so i worked um with a group of women parliamentarians uh, and together we put together an eight-chapter policy framework for um, developing a national gender diversity policy. Ninety-six, seven. Okay. Yeah. After that, um, I then got invited to participate in a. Uh, joint project of the South African Human Rights Commission okay. and the Department of Justice. They were putting together a new law which was enacted in the year 2000 and this law was called um, the Equality Act. Okay. So I was the deputy director and, and I deputized a, um, a constitutional judge who uh, was the director of this project. It was a bill drafting project. And after that uh, bill was, um, uh, after the project was completed um, and the bill was enacted into an, a statute, um, I was then nominated as a human rights commissioner okay. in South Africa and um, presented to parliament um, but that was another position, which was to be a department chair for um, an academic uh, program at a college, like a community college here, the equivalent of that, um, 
so I worked for that for that college for about three years and then came back to the United States when the college um, merged with two major universities okay in this this college is merging with universities there in South Africa or yeah yeah if they merged because you know that was in in, in response to uh, the new legislation which um, mandated uh, institutions of higher learning uh, that were historically white to merge with those that were uh, you know that served black people <laughs> and people of color yeah so uh, that was a very not a good marriage but it was intended to integrate society integrate educational institutions of higher learning and um yeah but my my position the level that i was operating at at the time is an acting dean and um and a department chair that position all of those positions were eliminated as it happens with measures uh, certain positions um, have to be gotten rid of so i had to then um, make a decision on whether i was i would stay in south africa or come back i came back here to join my children who hadn't gone back to south africa with me okay so um you were here the first time and did your children remain here when you went back yeah they yeah they remained here i married at yale university and i had two two sons and uh, they had not wanted to uh, go go back to South Africa, so okay. they remained here. And so as far as getting here from South Africa the second time, was this an easy, was this a choice thing for you, or did someone have to help you to return, or? No, this time around it was a choice. Um, okay. It was a family uh, pool. Okay, okay. <laughs> it, it was a family pool that, you know, I could have stayed in South Africa, you know, and uh, because it was still very important for people um, to remain in South Africa and help do national, uh, nation building. Okay. But um, my children were here and there was, you know, they were not old enough <laughs> to, um, you know, to continue to live without me, so I had to be here. Okay. Well, the reason why I asked whether or not it was a choice, because I remember you saying early, and I want to go back to that, that the first time you came to the U.S., you were actually helped to get here. So uh, tell me a little bit about the first time you came to the United States. Um, you had shared with me uh, when we were not recording that um, uh, Nelson Mandela's wife and also, I guess, a, a corporation out of the United States. I'm not sure we decided on which one. I know which one he was. <laughs> so, did you remember which one it was? Because it was Hewlett Packard. It was Hewlett Packard. Okay. It was Hewlett Packard. It was Hewlett Packard. Okay, so oh, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk about that because, as we were saying, I was with Hewlett Packard and that I had friends who were with Hewlett Packard in, in South Africa, Johannesburg, 
Yeah, and uh, so I had an opportunity to visit South Africa while they were there and still with HP. Uh, so that is a very interesting story uh, about that, and it's it, it seems that um, there are there are no coincidences. I'll put it that way. No, <laughs> seems that I'm no. always running into people that I have things in common with. So, so Hilly Packer <laughs> and uh, Winnie Mandela actually helped you to get to the United yes, States. they put that ticket together. Um, so, so they shared the cost of my air trouble. Okay. Well, good. good. Even though I was running away from uh, South Africa, you know. Okay, and you were right. because I, I think you mentioned to me as well you had been placed in jail because of entering a restaurant the wrong, the wrong door. Yeah, yeah, I had entered through the wrong door, and then um, you know. And then, then also the bandit. Uh, you were reading books that had been banned. Yes. Um, I mean, I was I was a young person, and and I was hitchhiking. It was you know really I was hitching a ride from uh, Durban to Johannesburg. Okay. Not alone. I had I was traveling with that um, someone who I think she must have been about fourteen or fifteen year old at the time, um, a niece okay. of mine, and. Um, but when they did um, put us in this truck to take us to a prison, they just threw us there without, um, you know. Oh, like the 14 year old in, in prison? Is yeah, right? I mean, they, they really like broke so many laws that did not apply in South Africa under apartheid. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of things that, you know, that were defined as um, abuse human rights okay well i'm that, hoping that we don't get to that point here because we're talking about banded books here already so <laughs> okay we're following south africa instead of going ahead but <laughs> but yes yeah, so that's something that uh, my book club because i have a book club and we're reading books that are not right well some of those books are not within our universities yet but they were written by people from our Ivy League universities, so that, that's interesting that they're not in our academic curriculums just yet. Uh, oh, I'll have to introduce you to the book club, but anyway. <laughs> that would be so interesting. I mean, like you're saying, there are no coincidences. I, I remember, I mean, I used to love the work of um, a Caribbean writer named uh, Franz Fanon. Okay. And I remember reading this, you know, some of his work, and uh, it's, it's originally written in French, but you know, translated into English. And then when I was a student at uh, the City University of New York, I happened to uh, meet his wife. He was long dead by then. I met his wife, and I interviewed his wife, um, uh, Madame Double. Um, the wife of Franz Fanon. That was just something like it's one of those milestone moments of my life. <laughs> just like working in the office of President Nelson Mandela, who would have thought that uh, just a normal village girl like me would end up uh, that way? But I'm curious. I'm curious though, which uh, city were you originally from? Soweto. 
for the same university okay. from 2003 um, and then yeah so in 2000 so, so but I moved from New York to California okay. and but continued before the pandemic but I continued to teach uh, at the City University of New York um, virtually uh, online okay because of the pandemic and so last year in 2022 there were new post-covid mandates that required for me to go back to to teach uh, in person again i had to make another decision and uh, i couldn't go <laughs> i couldn't go back to teach in new york not at that point so i, okay. I remained here and that is how i found myself working for pivot sacramento Okay, so tell us a little bit about Pivot. Uh, Pivot Sacramento is a nonprofit organization, and tell us about their focus. Uh, who are the people that they're attempting to help? Well, Pivot Sacramento helps people who have employment barriers, people who are hard to employ. Um, before I worked for Pivot Sacramento, I had worked for the Job Corps Center. Okay. Yeah, the Sacramento Job Corps Center. Um, I had worked as an academic advisor and a coach, academic coach for students uh, who, for some reason, had been left behind by the um, No Child Left Behind Act. <laughs> so these are students who, for the most part, had their high school education, but they had um their reading proficiencies were below were, average were below average like maybe third or fourth grade okay. yeah so they you know they had to to catch up and close certain gaps before they could either be employed or enroll in a community college okay yeah quote from uh, Dr. Lindy, as she wants us to call her Dr. Lindy. I will read one more quote from her, and this expresses her heart uh, as, it's, uh, as we start to talk more about the Pivot um, Sacramento program. This expresses her heart and why she does what she does. Many of us are still trying to find out what is our calling? And what we do need to understand is, and I will use these terms, God continues to groom us from every uh, experience and incident that we're involved in. So we always learn regardless. And he's developing and grooming us so that we can sense his heart and his need 
in his mission on the earth. So this is a quote uh, from her. She says, I have the privilege of teaching at Columbia University and worked previously for the Office of the Presidency during Dr. Nelson Mandela's administration. Another career milestone for me was a research position with the South African Human Rights Commission, working jointly with the Department of Justice on a bill that gave expression to Chapter 9, the Equality Clause of South Africa's Constitution. This bill draft culminated in the enactment of the Equality Act in the year 2000. That educational background and career trajectory shaped me to gravitate towards the socioeconomic population I currently serve with no great means due to historical inequities. I came to work for Pivot Sacramento because this nonprofit has a value system that aligns with who I am. I was attracted to the subsidized employment program of Sacramento County because I had transferable skills in academic coaching, academic advising, and mentoring, apart from teaching and facilitating learning at post-secondary levels. Although I don't have experience as a CalWORKs participant, I have benefited from similar supportive programs that help with a head start for people who have no means to settle down in a huge state like California. The program enables me to work with people who have encountered racial trauma that has impacted their ability to secure the self-sufficiency that comes with the job. I believe this is something that should be of interest to workforce development policymakers. like I could make more of an impact okay. working with students um, who had um, those um, educational um, challenges. Um, so being at the Job Course Center, I worked with students, some of whom were, um, you know, were there, they were still incarcerated, but they had to take some, some you know, some high school um, or GED okay. programs. Some of them were teen, teenage parents and others were ex-foster care. Um, some were substance users. Okay. Um, oh, it sounds like there were so many gaps uh, that are just here in society that you were filling, helping to fill some of those gaps. Yeah. Not able to go on to college because they just weren't uh, didn't even have the grades, had not even finished their GED, it sounds like. Um, yeah. Then people who, uh, either because they were incarcerated or having other issues, were not able to go on to school. Right. So just so many gaps uh, that also causes an economic issue. So oh, yes. Economic gap, uh, and reason why people are struggling. Uh, and then we have an educational gap <laughs> where mm -hmm. people don't have access to good education uh, and then have even when you have education uh, possibilities they're banned in books 
There's, so there, there, yes. there are all kinds of gaps there yes. uh, that yes. we're experiencing here. And, and it sounds like this could potentially remind you of South Africa. Oh, absolutely. And the challenge that you had there growing up, growing up there as a child and coming on up and then witnessing that with others. Um, there is a woman by the name of Dr. Caroline Leaf that has done some studies there. Mm. Um, as well, and I think she's originally from South Africa. And uh, one of the things that she talks about a lot is what actually hindered you when, as a child. What hindered you uh, that caused you to fall behind? And, and typically something has happened that is right. causing people to fall behind, whether you're in South Africa or whether you're in the United States of America. There's yeah. still this hindrance that we have Yes, that arrested development. Yes. And so she addresses things like that. I think she's uh, she talks about how she was able to go into some communities in, in, in Soweto, as a matter of fact, and work with kids. And then they were doing better than kids that were in affluent areas of South Africa because she just believed that the brain is capable. It's just that arrested development or other issues have happened in childhood and so children just aren't able to perform at the same level unless there's some intervention yes and that's what she was providing that intervention and and letting them know that you're capable as capable as anyone else your brain is not at a point where it cannot grow as we would say you know or expand in your thinking you can do right. that regardless of how you know what what hindrances you have had so i think go ahead i think that's what that's uh, what um i'm particularly drawn that that's what makes me particularly drawn to pivot sacramento because the the customers that we serve um have those types of chronic um employment barriers you know that are structural in nature um and there's always going to be a pattern um that joins these institutions together almost as if a conspiracy of sorts <laughs> but you know because if 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 it's not redlining um, that has caused people to remain in certain areas, um, then the discrimination is is it manifests itself in 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 unemployment, which keeps you in the same state of need and repetitively so. Um, so it's the educational system, the housing system, yes. the employment, the economic system that keeps people rotating around the same cycle, okay. um, around and around. And um, and so Pivot Sacramento recognizes that it's not, it's not that your brain cannot function or that the person does not have the passion to work or to even 
um, develop certain skills or reskill, upskill. People are capable to get to that point, but they always have barriers that prevent them to get to their highest level. Um, all of these barriers are psychological, from say childhood or yeah, uh, structural uh, racism or you know. Violence yes. maybe in their community or exactly. violence in their home. So yes, so 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 uh, a job center like Pivot um, Sacramento uh, provides that intervention, which okay. is what they call a wraparound service. Okay. Which um, not only they don't only um, help the incoming a job seeker with. Um, the ability to search for work on their own. Uh, they provide them also with a one-on-one coach to help them uh, discover their inner passion. You know, so so we 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 encourage our customers to self-motivate rather than to seek motivation from elsewhere. Now, is there an age uh, range that you guys look at, or are you looking at uh, are you looking at children as well as adults, or what is no our customers? Our customers are uh, eight, from eighteen and above. Okay. Yeah. So we don't we don't focus on youth. Okay. Yeah, we we'll, we'll focus on adults. Okay. And does it go much past eighteen, or I mean, are we talking about people that are still? looking for better jobs and they are much older? Uh, oh yeah, they could be as old as my age. Okay. Uh, some of our customers are 75 years old and oh, they, okay. Okay. they retired but unable to, you know, to pay rent. They are unable to meet their basic needs. So, um, and some of them are really um, um, able to work, they they were professional people who happened maybe to make poor choices and okay. and, and had to find themselves back um, uh, in the workforce. Job market, okay. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like uh, so. What I can I also assume that you're doing some potential psychological help, or I mean, uh, is it? Is it more sociology or a psychology that you're, or both, or that uh, people can get help at the center? Um, so well, the coaching or guidance, what what does that really include? It sounds like it's it, a wraparound it, service, so what does that include? It includes every everything, really, even though they don't, we, we don't define it in those terms. Um, that are academic, but um, yeah, I mean, we still do follow um, adult learning uh, theories and help people to understand that um, we don't, when we coach or um, facilitate learning, we don't talk at them. Um, we get them to discover new knowledge um, in collaboratively in a participatory manner uh, as adults because adult students or learners come with prior learning the people have been um, 
through experiences uh, and lived experience may not provide you with formal education but it 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 gives you a repertoire of of knowledge base and you know and and skills that you have learned throughout your life um um maybe for survival um so we don't I, I'm a believer in um, in, in Paulo Freire's uh, um, philosophy of education, uh, which is that you cannot talk to people as if they were empty receptacles of knowledge. People do have their knowledge that they come with, which must be respected and uh, inclusively um, honored and incorporated into our curricula. So that's what uh, we do at uh, at Pivot Sacramento. People will people learn um, and contribute to their own learning rather than hear what they're told to do. Well, this and is very interesting. So uh, I understand too that you're uh, always seeking employers to partner with you and work with you uh, when helping to find uh, positions for people that are coming to Pivot? Well, this is the, um, the subsidized employment program that I work uh, for as a program coordinator. Okay. Its goal is to um, get people who are participants of Sacramento County's uh, Carl works through the Department of Human Assistance to get back to the workforce. These are people who are qualified candidates for in you know for positions that um, are advertised uh, by employers uh, in different industries, and and notably in um, Sacramento, those would be maybe customer service or warehousing. Um, administrative uh, entry-level jobs really okay yeah so so um, what we're trying to do is to partner with employers um, to um, to hire these participants of ColorWorks okay. yeah okay so you say and then, so, explain so, that to us what do you mean what you said that the um, program is subsidized, so help us to yeah. better understand that. Um, there, are, there are many sub- subsidized programs in Sacramento County, but this particular one is, uh, it grows out of um, a program called um, Welfare to Work. Okay. This is a program that, that has changed names over the years. Um, um, and work, welfare to work is a program that um, for that parents who have, uh, you know, young parents or parents with children um, participate in. They become, but you know, they enroll in that program. And then after me, I think after about five years, they um, they time out, and you know, so they they run out of the cash. Uh, money that they would be receiving, you know, those benefits uh, dry out, and so they have to 
come out of the program. But if they have children, the children can can continue to be on the program. So, or maybe other um, members of the family can be on the program also. So, so um, participants can then um, begin to look for work. Um, they are participants of DHA at that point, right? Okay. Through the Welfare to Work program, the CalWorks program. So the Department of Human Assistance um, has its own um, section that handles subsidized employment. What they do is they um, they they train them, um, they develop them so that they can be attracted into the workforce again. And so what we do is that we contract with the Department of Human Assistance. Um, and then, um, but the Department of Human Assistance would then consider us as providers of that of that reinvestment uh, program. So what we're doing right now is we're trying to find employers who can become our partners. Well, so for example, um, um, let's say Walmart. If Walmart can uh, become our partner, um, we would sign an agreement with them. Um, they would have obviously to be uh, be verified that they can be eligible for that program. Um, once they are eligible or considered eligible for the program, uh, we sign an, an agreement with them. And then um, we and then they would send us their job announcements. Um, once they send us our, their job announcements, we would then place, they would then um, send them customers uh, who are eligible candidates to qualify or compete for those positions. I mean, Walmart could very well go to commercial job placement places like uh, say Robert Half or or Perry yeah but so what, what is with, the benefit of them coming to pivot the benefit is that we subsidize them about maybe $16 an hour for a minimum of 30 hours a week but the jobs have to be full-time jobs because the we the the intention is for them to retain that person beyond the subsidy period. So after the six months, they have to be on board still for another six months um, non-subsidy period. But most organizations and the best fit organizations for us are those that are have struggled during the COVID uh, period. During the pandemic, a lot of uh, organizations um, 
in, were impacted by the economic uh, downturn. And so they were not able to, to you know, to to swing back into. Some of them can, but they don't have the infrastructure to do so. So they are not able to afford full-time employees. So they may, especially say uh, in the food industry, like the the regular. Um, let's say, soul food restaurants. Fast food, uh-huh, fast food restaurants. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so they could have vacancies, but those vacancies would be maybe seasonal or part-time. But with the subsidized employment program, we want uh, employers to take um, these participants on a full-time basis. So we subsidize uh, them $16 an hour. So if, for example, an employer employs for $17 an hour, um, we pay, you know, we will, you know, reimburse them $16 of what they've paid that employee. So the benefit really is that they get to, um, to hire local talent because you know, people want to work close to their homes. Um, and also, a lot of organizations appreciate that uh, subsidy because um, it helps them with their operational budgets. <clears throat> so, so um, we want to get more um, employers on board. Um, the only stumbling... Um, block so far from what I have seen having gone to career fairs numerous of them and engaged with some potential employers is just the this, this stereotypes that are associated with hiring uh, people who are on welfare so yeah so a lot of employers um uh, may know about equity and inclusivity and all of these um, these uh, fancy terms that have become cliche. <laughs> uh, some of them may actually be, be on their websites, you know, on their mission statements, their vision statements may have that kind of language of inclusivity, equity, um, in a sense of belonging in, in the organizational culture, but um, we have yet to see um, or to realize um, organizations that that is actually doing what they say that they are planning to do. Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually went to a business journal breakfast here about a month ago. Uh, where they were awarding certain small business and large businesses uh, for the way that they treat employees, you know, whether they have exercise programs, whatever. They have all kind of programs to uh, benefit the employees. And I noticed that everyone uh, who won an award, and there were a lot of awards given, uh, included in their PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> their video, <laughs> 
that, that you were believed in inclusive environments. But I did notice when they showed the employees, it's like, this is not very inclusive. Uh, <laughs> you might see one person or nobody uh, that would be, that would qualify under that inclusive uh, category. Mm. So let me just make sure I'm understanding what you guys offer. So Pivot, working with a organization who are an employer would actually provide up to $16 per hour for that person uh, for six months. And they need to be working at least 30 hours per week. Yes. Because you want them full time. Uh, they also need to continue with them working for them. Uh, and I would assume with the same pay six months after the first six months so after you guys then withdraw your your amount that you're giving to the uh employee uh then your, ex your expectation is that six more months they need to at least be working a full year really so six months with you guys paying and at least another full year before yes. uh they would you know stop working so you want to know that they're going to be full-time employees and hopefully by then, a whole year of working with you, you have been able to uh, analyze uh, how good this person really is, how well they can work, what benefit they are to the to the corporation. Okay. They might even receive a promotion from the same company okay. and be retained um, for as long as they want. Okay. Now, yeah, but I wanted to question. I just, let me Sorry, ask you, what the employer. Okay. So, mm -hmm. what what does the employer have to do to qualify for your program to participate with your program? What does that employer look like? Um, it could be any employer. We don't um, define which employers. Um, okay, so it doesn't have to be a large corporation or a medium-sized corporation or a small corporation. It can be an individual that has a, corp that has a company that they're working for themselves? Um, no, um, okay. it has to be, I mean, I mean, structure is very, is gonna be very important. Okay. Um, they're either non-profits or they're LLCs or they're S-Corps, whatever the structure is. Um, the important thing for us is that they have to be at least two years in business. Okay. And they also have to have um, a place of work, like a work site that is a formal work site that is not a residential address. Okay. So they cannot operate from that place of business has to have um, insurance. Okay. So, so we would ask for um, a workers' comp, uh, at least to know what you, who your carrier is, or workers' compensation. Um, but the requirements for eligibility are really not that stringent. These are documents that um, that most organizations that are already operating they have been operating for at least two years already do have okay. they already have something called a uh, business license which we want they already have um a business operation um tax credit certificate okay. um, 
you know if you're an um, a non-profit you more than likely have to have that if you which is required uh, in sacrament to operate a business in sacramento county okay okay and it sounds like they would have to have several employed well i say several anywhere from two to three employees working yeah for them, especially yeah when yeah work that's come yeah the employees have to be w2 employees so and and i mean these jobs are full-time and i wanted to just like go back to uh maybe correct what um you were saying earlier it we reimburse only 30 hours a week but the employee has to work a minimum of 32 hours a week okay 32 hours that is how we define full-time okay yeah whether you give them benefits or not it's up to you as an organization but we want for that person to work minimum of 32 hours they can work up to 40. okay but uh minimum is 32. okay and then you reimburse 30 hours but they can work up to 40. okay yeah okay this sounds like a really good program um i'm hoping that you will have an opportunity to get more employers uh, to sign up with you um, is there anything that you would like to say on the podcast to encourage employers to step up or to get in touch with you is there uh, any words of encouragement you have for employers who may be interested in this program um well um uh, the only way that i can um encourage employers is just to reiterate maybe the benefits of of, of uh, being on board uh, with the subsidized employment program um really to be honest people who are participants of our uh, people who have um have gone through job readiness okay they, you know they are they are not people that you that are like on the street they are in a program that um that uh, and it's a rigorous program that puts them through uh, processes of interviewing like mock interviews they these are people who already know what it means to do a job search they have uh, computer skills they have um, communication skills they have been thoroughly vetted okay yeah and so also um we don't interfere with your recruitment um processes we work with your job announcement that's all that we do we work with your minimum um qualifications on your job announcement so so but you just have to be specific in terms of um how many hours this person is going to work and what the shift is going to be like. Um, but one other thing that we like to encourage employers to do is if you need any clarity to call us, call me or send me an email. Um, Did you want to go ahead and give us your email address? Yes, and we can we can always um, do a Zoom uh, presentation or come to your website in order to be able to um, share with you um, 
the process of onboarding you and you know and just also to know that we can subsidize up to 30% of your workforce okay so a third of your workforce um is a is a great saving on your uh, operational budget um if it you know if you take care of that payroll on our own um just for you um hiring um um individuals um who are participants of carworks uh, enables you to to participate in the local economy um and help uh, our people get back to the workforce too okay now what is a good way for people to contact you i know that we can do zooms for them but how do they get in touch with you the first time what is the best you way can. The best uh, way is to call me and the number is 916-435-6760 and ask for Lindy. Okay. And then is there an email or website address or any of that? And there's also a website address. We have a um uh, uh a Facebook um page also. But our website is um, pivotsec.org. Okay, so P-I-V-O-T-S-A-C dot O-R-G. Yeah. Okay, it's the website. And then there's a Facebook page. Yes, and it's the same. uh, um, It's Pivot Sacramento. Okay. On Facebook. Okay, Pivot Sacramento? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, this has been uh, lots of good information here. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, originally, I wanted to talk to you just about Pivot, and and just to let people know, uh, Pivot was uh, started some time ago, but the founder of the organization is Lisa Miller Brown. Yes, and I think she started as a single parent with three children, and I can identify with that because I'm a single parent with three sons. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I just thought that was very interesting when I had an opportunity to read that on your website. As a matter of fact, yes, and she participated. She was a participant of the same program too as the other. Yes, yes, and just you know, just I just I just wanted to emphasize the fact that the whole goal is to create a path to self-sufficiency for each one of of the people that we're working with, job seekers that we're working with. So when we talk about a wraparound uh, service or a series of services um, uh, that address something like maybe child care, you know, or or we, pro- we provide uh, transportation, we provide bus passes, we might give you gas also to make sure you get to work. Um, if there are uh, issues that require for you to seek a counselor, we make referrals. Um, if if uh, some of our customers may need expungement, um, so we help with that too. Okay. We're working a collaborative within the building where we are. Some of our uh, uh, tenants uh, who are our partners in the collaborative have 
you know, they provide these individual services. So, so a client of ours, a customer of ours can actually um, receive all of those services under the same roof. So we're literally wrapping this person around in order for them to make sure that they will be a fully uh, productive citizen who goes to work and uh, once I mean I, I think a, a, a measure of self-sufficiency is a job for most people so once you have a, a money in your pocket you become you, you know some of these barriers begin to fall off okay. now tell us where is your location where would uh, where are people those who are interested in the program where would they go to meet with you at the end of our podcast and so the first resource we want to talk about of course is Pivot Sacramento and this is the organization that Dr. Tutela is actually a part of and so if you want to get in touch with her let's let's give you that information first of all uh, well first of all it's uh, they're located at 4625 44th Street and that's in rooms three and four in Sacramento downtown and the hours of their office is 8.30 to 5 o'clock p.m. So that if you're an employer, someone who wants to partner with them by providing jobs for their very well-groomed individuals that will come to your organization and add much value. If you want to do that, call uh, Dr. Uh, Tutela and uh, make sure that uh, she knows that you're an employer, that you're wanting to work with them. 
And let's see, that telephone number is 916-435-6560. Or you can go to their website and take a peek. And that's just pivotsac.org. P-I-V-O-T-S-A-C. Pivotsac.org. And the Facebook page would be Pivot Sacramento. Okay, so now that you have all that wonderful information, uh, those of you who would like to take advantage of the program, and especially those young moms uh, and single parents with children, you definitely want to go and take advantage of all the benefits that this program offers you. And I believe until your child at least turns five years old. Uh, So be aware of that, and you might want to take advantage of this. At least give them a call or go to the website and see what opportunities they do have for you. Now, the other thing I would like to give, of course, I like to recommend books because we can never read enough. Uh, There is Dr. Caroline Leaf. I have three books here that I'm going to mention about that she has written. One is called Who Switched Off My Brain? And that's by Dr. Caroline Leaf, L-E-A-F, as in Frank. And then there's also a study guide for the gift in you. So she helps you to understand that each human being has a gift. We communicate sometimes differently based upon how our particular brains are structured. And so you want to get a hold of that and learn more about how you operate and maybe some of the things that are so easy for you and you're out there trying to figure out what am I called to do? And it should be very easy because the things that you're called to are very simple for you. It's just that you're not to be out there copying someone else. Now let's see, here we go. Another one of her books, Who Switched Off Your Brain? Solving the Mystery of He Said, She Said. And this is also by Dr. Caroline Leaf. So we want to make sure that you have some good resources here so that you can start working on your mind, body, spirit, and soul. And so that you can share them with your peers, friends, relatives, family, uh, so that we all can become better, so that we can build relationships. Okay, it has, as always, it is a pleasure uh, bringing Bridge the Gap to you. Uh, we're trying to fill yet another gap. And as Dr. Tutela said, there are so many issues that exist and so many wounds that have been created that need to, need, uh, to be healed by things like structural inequity and protracted exposure to violence. And that is true, was true in South Africa, and is true in America today. It has been a pleasure. Have a wonderful day. This is Shirley Smith with Bridge the Gap.